Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. Who can imagine how you get from a church in Mississippi to planting churches in Canada? We'll talk about that and more. This is the Engaging Mission Show, episode 180 with Matt Hess. Welcome to the Engaging Mission Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks for joining us. Our goal is to equip, challenge, and inspire you to connect, care, give, and go. This week, we're going to be talking about walking in humility and the value of discipleship, as well as a whole lot more. We're also going to check in with Brian Hogan, pulling from his book, There's a Sheep in My Bathtub. We're going to be looking at the time when they were preparing to enter Mongolia and some of the things that were going on there. We're also going to have some valuable resources from Global Initiative that are designed to help us better understand Muslims. And I do want to mention right at the outset that I am in the middle of a fundraiser for Global Initiative. I'm hoping and praying that we will be able to raise $4,000 to help fund what they have going on so that they can equip the global body of Christ to engage with Muslims. If you're interested in more information about that, you can find that at engagingmissions.com slash fund16. That's fund and then the number 16. With that, I'm not going to take any more of your time. We're going to head right into our time with Matthew Hess. All right, let's get started. Today, I am super excited to be talking with Matt Hess. He served as a pastor in Mississippi before being called to Canada. And I think you'll notice he's coming to us from Canada, but he's got a bit of a Southern accent, which is really exciting. Now, through God's grace over the last couple of years or so, they've established three churches and they have a vision to plant 12 churches overall by 2023. So Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. I'm excited to be here. Oh, this is this is great for me as well. I, I can't tell you how excited I am. Now, we've laid out a little bit as far as, you know, you've planted a few churches here in Canada. Can you maybe share a little bit more with us about what it is, who you are, maybe just a couple sentences about what you're doing? Yeah, for sure. So 2012, we moved here from Northwest Mississippi. I was I was a pastor in a church out there and and God really just began to stir in our hearts to to go to a place that was we really had three dreams on the table. We want to go to a place that was unchurched. We want to go to a place that was big and we want to go to a place that was diverse. Mm. And so as we did the research, God led us to Toronto, Ontario here in Canada. And so we just stepped out on faith and 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 moved here in July 2012. Didn't know anybody. We just believed God wanted us to come here. On the We plan on the east side of the city in a suburb called Pickering. And God has just completely blown us away with what he's done since we've been here. So 
it's exciting to see, but our heart is for multiplication. Our heart is to just keep on planting churches. So if, if I think about Toronto, and you might have to correct my perception, but it seems like to call Toronto diverse is a little bit of an understatement, that it's there's an incredible diversity there, more than most other places. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's considered to be the most diverse city in all of North America, if not the world. Really? Yeah, it's extremely diverse. And in our church alone, we probably have roughly 20 to 25 nations just in our congregation. And so it's it's very, very diverse. The nations are right here, man, for sure. Wow. So one of the things I was going to ask is if you felt like God had called you to a particular nation or a community of a particular group of people, it sounds like God has called you to the community of all nations. Is that is that kind of where that's headed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when back in the States, when we were praying about where God would have us to, you know, to go, we we were really reluctant to get into church planning in the beginning because mm-hmm. we felt like we felt like a lot of people were getting into church planning at a seminary for the wrong reasons. And, and we, we wanted to go for the right reasons. And, you know, you plant churches for one reason alone, and it's to reach lost people. And and so the more we prayed about it, God, like I said, gave us that dream to want to reach the unchurched, but to want to be in a community that was very diverse. I, we, we, we couldn't get the image of what the kingdom of God is like, you know, it's just so, yeah. so diverse and it's beautiful. So that, that's really what we wanted to be a part of. So as I think about a church with 25 different na- nations represented, I would imagine there's a, an incredible diversity of culture, a, different, a difference in ways that they view the world and in perspective, experience, all that kind of stuff. How are, how are you able to walk in unity and build reconciliation and bridge all of that stuff together? Oh, man, it's, it's a great question. We actually had some friends over last night who are originally from India, and they're a part of the church, mm-hmm. and we had a great time, great celebration, and they were just sharing with us a lot of you know, their, their culture and, and all those kinds of things. But, you know, I, we get asked that question all the time and this is going to sound simple, but you know, the gospel truly is for all people. And we come as, as we are reaching lost people, our, our, our big dream was to reach people who didn't know Christ. And so when we came here, you know, we, there's such a big segment of the population here that doesn't know Christ. And so 97% of our community is unchurched. And, wow. and so those are the people that we're going after, you know, and through God's grace, he's, he's given us favor in that in that realm. But but 70 percent of, of fellowship Pickering, our congregation came from an unchurched background. And so we would identify unchurched as within the last five years they hadn't been in a church, you know, not we wouldn't say, well, somebody who was a child, you know, went to a Christmas service a couple times or whatever that they're churched, you know. And and so 70% of our congregation is unchurched. And so to get back to your to your question, that what 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 is easy for us is to speak the gospel to, to all those different nations in one simple way. And it's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's unifying our people because they a lot of them have never heard it before. So as they give their lives to Christ and as we see that harvest come in, it, it's truly a family, a truly a body in Christ. So that's exciting. So from now kind of taking a step back, I guess, you, you were in Mississippi and God called you to Canada. I would imagine that there was a path that he led you on that got you to Canada. Can you share a little bit about the, the path from northern Mississippi to Canada? Yeah, yeah. We, well, we were pastoring in the Mid-South, which is near Memphis, Tennessee, we're right okay. there on the Mississippi-Tennessee border. And, you know, we, God was doing some great things, sweet, sweet people at that church. And 
we just felt in the middle of, of that, that God was calling us to something different, something new. And so the more we prayed about it, we just knew it was, it was church planning. Mm-hmm. And so the next logical question for us was, you know, where at, you know, where to? And so like, like before I told you those dreams that we kind of had on the table and we started to pray about location and where God might have us to go. And I was in seminary at the time. I was at Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary there in Memphis. Hmm. And it was my last year of seminary. And the chapel speaker for that day was Dr. Richard Harris, who's the interim president of North American Mission Board at the time. And as he was talking, he said, we need to we need to plant churches in the un, the difficult, you know, unchurched regions in North America. And so, of course, my ears really perked up. You know, I was really listening. So mm-hmm. uh, I stopped doing my Greek homework for a minute, you know. <laughs> and, and so I, I was listening to him and he says, you know, we need to plant churches in Los Angeles and New York City and all these places. And he says, we need to plant church in the most lost region in all of North America. And, you know, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. I'm wondering what he's going to say. And he says, Canada. Mm. And it just completely, I, you know, I, I can't. It's tough for me still to describe, but it was really an Isaiah 6 type moment for me. I I knew in that moment that here I am, you know, here we are, like send us. We were going to Canada, and I knew nothing about Canada. I hadn't thought about Canada up until that time. And so I went went home and told my wife about it, my wife Erica. And I said, I think I know where God wants us to go. And she said, where at? And I said, Canada. And she said, I don't think you're listening to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so, nice. so we prayed and fasted. And sure enough, you know, here we are five years later. So, so yeah, that's, that's really, that was our journey. And, and I should take a step back. We, we actually resigned that pastorate in 2000, towards the end of 2010, early 2011. And we did a one-year residency at our sending church in Carville, Tennessee, at Carville First Baptist Church. Okay, and they're our sending church, and they have been absolutely incredible. We we could not do we're what what God's doing up here through us without them. So they're amazing. Chuck Herring's their pastor, and my mentor and good friend, and they've been phenomenal. So we did a one year residency there, preparing to come here first. Okay, yeah. now when I when I think about church planters and missionaries, a lot of times in foreign countries, they're not able to work. I'll put that in quotes. They can't work for money. Are you, is your ministry bivocational? Are you fully vocational pastor? How how does that work? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm actually, we're not allowed to work here either. So okay. we come here on work visas. So, but they're called clergy visas, obviously, or ministerial visas. And the only thing that we can do is pastor. And so if I, if I want to get a job at a, a local coffee shop or something like that, we couldn't do that even right now. But that you can apply for a permanent, what's called a permanent residency. And we're going through that process right now. And once that's complete, we could work if, if God was to lead us to do bivocational ministry and work. And, and I, you know, and I don't know if you want to get into that or not, but, but I, I, I believe to, to answer your first question, we are vocational and it'd be very challenging at this point in time, you know, to lead a church planning network and to pastor a church and, and do another job. Mm-hmm. But but I would say this, I, I think the future of church planting is going to have to be bivocational, especially in the tougher or tougher soils like like Canada. Okay. Yeah. So you've shared a little bit about how God revealed the plan to you and sent you up to Canada. As you think about the ministry over the last couple of years, is there anything that God has been revealing to you or teaching you in that time? Yeah. How long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah. I, I tell you what, we've you know, I I think I think one of the biggest lessons I learned, Brian, was just how just how 
pitiful my prayer life was before I before I was called into church planning. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think that that was the first big lesson I learned. And, you know, God has a way of, of humbling us to prepare us. And I think really before we saw what what we've seen and what God and what we believe is just kind of tip of the iceberg. I think God had to do some stuff in my life and, and in our in our life and teach us some things. And so, you know, prayer to me is is kind of it's at the core of everything. If our prayer life is not where it ought to be, if it's weak, I just I, I think there's going to be a lot of challenges there. There's already a ton of challenges ministry wise. But so that was the big first lesson I think God showed us. Mm. And then there's a million of others, a million other lessons. I I think that my idea of what people who didn't know Christ, what they valued and what I've come to learn that they value is different in terms of how they view church. Hmm. Uh, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. We, you know, just like most, you know, guys, I thought, well, man, our, our worship ministry has to be just incredible for people to come and we got to meet, you know, in a nice space and we got to have this and that. And, you know, I tell you, our, our our services are very simple. We are we are not complicated in 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 much at all. And we didn't even have a worship leader in the beginning of our church plant. We played YouTube videos hmm. and we grew through playing those YouTube videos. Not now people didn't come because of the YouTube videos. <laughs> they, <laughs> they came in spite of the YouTube videos, I think actually, but I they came because of the fellowship. They came because of the family atmosphere. They came because people would embrace them. And, and, you know, ultimately they came because the Holy Spirit drew them. And as they came into that community, they started to see that there was something different. And so I I think I've learned a lot about, you know, models, methodology, all those kinds of things. And Mm -hmm. at the core, regardless of whatever your model is, your methodology views are at, at the bottom line, the bottom line is, is that the, the Holy Spirit brings people and mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit seals the deal in people's hearts as we as we're faithful to proclaim the gospel. So been big learning curve, big, big lessons learned coming from the Bible Belt and thinking that you know church has to look a certain way and those kinds of things. And then and coming to understand what what people who are truly seeking after God, what, what they are, what they what they value and what they're looking for has been been really exciting for us. Well, wow, that, that's really good. And, you know, it reminds me of something that I thought of or thought about a couple of years ago. You know, a lot of times there can be a lot of focus on a model or a methodology or something like that. And I don't want to discount those, but sure. it's so easy sometimes to forget that God's presence can only be carried by a person. The presence itself can't be carried by the program, and it's those interactions, those relationships that you highlighted. Those are those are key. I, I mean, I'm just sitting here. I'm going, man, this is such good stuff. With that, though, we are going to need to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to shift our focus and kind of go deep in your ministry. Yeah, sounds good. I'd like to take just a minute to tell you about another podcast that I think that you should check out. If you enjoy the Engaging Missions show, you definitely want to check out the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment with Scott McClelland. He's been a guest on the show, he's a friend of the show, and he's just recently finished up a series where he was on location in Thailand talking with some missionaries there about leadership. I thought it was a really, really interesting discussion. You can check that out at fxmissions.com. I think it's worth your time to at least give it a second to check it out. 
All right, we're back with Matt Hess. We've been talking about some of the things that God's shown him over the last couple of years or so. Now we're shifting our focus more toward the ministry. And Matt, as I think about the some of the information that you sent me, what I see is three churches planted, a vision for 12 in the next eight years. I assume that God has given you a plan or at least the first few steps for that. Can you share what what's the plan to make this happen? Well, not make, but to to facilitate what God's doing. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great question. We we were hoping that you would tell us those answers. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, in, in all seriousness, no. You, you you God gave us that vision. We when we first moved here. You know, we I had alluded to this a little bit earlier. God had to teach us some things, and you know, you prepare and you train and you talk to other church planners, and you always say to yourself, "Man, when when I become the leader of a church plan or when I plant a <laughs> church, you know, we're gonna do it this way." And we got up here, you know, and we we didn't know anybody and. And so we we didn't know what to do. And, you know, I had a I had a moment, you know, I, I think our lives are defined in moments, Brian. And I had a moment one day, one night, actually, I was reading a book and it was a by a church planning expert that I really respect. And he said in that book, he said, you know, you need to you shouldn't start a church unless you have a core group or it was recommended by him. At least I don't want to misquote him, but sure. he was recommending that you have a core group of at least 50 people. And the average size church in the Canadian National Baptist Convention, which is what we're part of the Southern Baptist Extension here, okay. is about 40 to 50 people. That's the average size church for our denomination. And so when he said that, I thought, boy, I am in trouble. You know, we we have five people and we all have the same last name. And, <laughs> and you know, we hadn't even taught the kids how to tithe yet. So we were in trouble, you know. And so I, I woke up. The, the, the next morning, I got up early and, and I went down to my basement. I just spent some time with the Lord. And, you know, I, I just told God, I said, you know, Lord, I know you've called us here. But if if you don't do this, this is going to be a train wreck. It's just going to be disastrous. And and I, I believe you want to plant these this church and and do it for your glory. But but I really need a vision from you. And so I open up the word of God and, and, I, and I'm reading and, and my church playing coach, he had encouraged me to read through the gospel of John and look at the preaching ministry, look at the teaching ministry and, and, and the ministry of Jesus through the lens of a church planter. And I've never done that before, you know, in the pastorate. And so I'm studying Jesus' ministry. And the thing that the Holy Spirit just kept on pulling out to me was he's pouring into these 12 men. And I'm thinking 12, you know, 12. Mm. And why, why, why the 12? Well, it's just like a, a light bulb comes on to me. And it wasn't nothing that was that I hadn't seen really before, but I, I guess it was in a new way. And it was the fact that he's pouring into these few what he wishes he could pour into the the masses mm-hmm. because he's going to leave to go back to be with the Father in, in the kingdom. And he's going to turn the whole thing over to Peter. He's going to hand him the keys when he comes back. And it just blew my mind. And and right there in that moment, God gave us a vision to start 12 churches in 10 years. Hmm. And the 12 come, people ask me all the time, why 12? The 12 churches, because I, I don't, I've seen churches, I've seen church plants with half a million dollars in, in the budget. And and five years later, you know, they're nowhere to be found. And and I've seen churches with the the, the best worship you could imagine and the, the best communicator and all these things, but they don't last. And I think what really makes a church plant is a spirit-filled, abiding in Christ leader and his mm. family yeah. that is that is teachable, that is humble, and that understands that if God doesn't show up and do this, then we are headed for disaster. 
And when, when God put that in my heart, man, we just begin to pursue it. And, you know, I, I really can't explain it, Brian, but when, when, when he gave us that word, something just clicked. It was, and, and I, and I think it, it really took all the stress off of me where yeah. you, you don't have to do this. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this through you and through your family, but you don't have to do this. And probably a week after that encounter I had with God, my basement, I just went out and knocked on doors, started knocking on doors. And, you know, my friends would tell me, man, you can't knock on doors in a place like Canada. You can't <laughs> do that. And people are going to think you're weird and you talk funny and all this stuff. And and I said, well, we're going to do it. And, you know, the first door we knocked on was a young man. He was 21 at the time. His name was James and he didn't know Christ. And I, I'm, I shared the gospel with him. He was a truck driver at the time. I said, hey, man, you know, could I, could I come back in a couple of weeks when you get off the road? And he said, absolutely. And so I come back and I ask him, I said, you know, James, I'm going to start a church for people who don't go to church. 97% of our community do not go to church. And we just want to give people the simple power of the gospel. And, and we just want to, we want to help people discover their purpose in Jesus. And I said, would you help us start this church? And he looked at me and I'll never forget it. He said, absolutely. Wow. And he wasn't a Christian. And people people say, well, you know, why would why would a, a non-believer help you start a church? And I said, man, the, the kingdom of God is like nothing that anybody in this world can can experience. Hmm. And when we become followers of Jesus Christ and, and, and we even when lost people are around followers of Jesus Christ, they're getting to experience some of that kingdom through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and Christ in us, the Bible says in John 15, mm -hmm. as we abide in him. So James became a became a Christian about six months later, just being in our home, discipling him, gave his life to Christ. And about a year after that, or about six months after that, he called me and said, you know, I really think God wants me to become a preacher. And so He's been in our church planning program now, and so we're taking him through a residency. Wow. And he's he's going to be, you know, so he's going to be one of our church planters. And I, I don't know if you wanted to hear all that, but, <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of how that's kind of how we got started with this vision for 12 churches in 10 years. Now, how, how are we doing it? God has made it very clear to, to us and to our team that you start churches from the harvest. The Bible says the fields are white under harvest, you know, the laborers are few. And so we're taking God at his word. And we believe that evangelism is at the forefront of church planting. And so uh, we actively do that. It's a little challenging in the in the wintertime yeah. to, to go door to door and, and to be outside and stuff like that. But in the warmer months, we're, we have a strategy for how we want to share the, the gospel and do that. We partner with the organization I'm sure you're aware of called No Place Left. Mm -hmm. And we've trained people in our network to do that. So our church is called Fellowship Pickering, and we planted Fellowship Rouge Park in Scarborough in March of 2015. And we planted Fellowship Oshawa in October of 2016, just a couple of months ago. And so where do these planters come from? The first one, Casey Van Balasingham, he's from here. So this this pastor of a local church here in Toronto, he he was on holiday with his wife and and found out about our church and just came into our church service and and he he just so happened to be the professor of Casevan at the time this this church planner of ours hmm. and so he tells me he says you got to meet this guy named Casevan 
Bala Singham. He's a great young man and he wants to plant churches. And so I met with Kay Savan and we just really hit it off. And so he did about a, a close to a one year residency with us at Fellowship Pickering. And then Jared Huntley, our church planner in Fellowship Oshawa, he's from Texas. He moved from Austin, Texas in February of 2015. And so he came up and him and his wife, Jen, and they did a close to a one-year residency, about 10, 11 months, I believe, with us at Fellowship Pickering as well. And then we sent them out to plant in Oshawa. And so these other church planters, where, where they're going to come from, we believe that all of the resources to plant churches are in the harvest. And so for us, that might, you know, I can't, I can't say in good conscience, we don't want American church planters to come up and plant churches because obviously I'm American and God, God, (laughs) so we don't want to say that God can't do that again. Right. But, but we do, we do believe ultimately that that's not the answer. We, we, we ultimately believe that it's the local indigenous guys that we're going to, like James, that we want to lead to Christ, raise up, and that they'll be called to plant churches right here in their own communities. And and they'll have an inside track because they'll understand the differences in culture between American and mm-hmm. Canadian. Well, that's that's great. You know, as you're sharing that, one of the things that so impressed me that I, as I was thinking about that is just the humility that you're looking at this and you're looking for for opportunities to give away power, to give away control, to do that kind of thing. And I really appreciate that. I also totally related with the the whole, I could do that better. I remember sitting and listening to a pastor going, I think I could do that better. And then God reminding me that, no, you couldn't because you can't love these people like he does. And That's that was, right. was right. kind of humbling. Yeah. As, as I think about that kind of love and that ministry year over year and you know, giving away power and, you know, all of the challenges that come with ministry, what is it that excites you or fuels your passion, keeps you going in the tough times? Well, I think that, you know, about a year ago, I I had a burnout. I burned out in ministry Mm. and we're we're quite honest and open about that. And, you know, we, we moved here in July of 2012 and we didn't know anybody. And we were having people in our homes. We don't own multiple homes or nothing. <laughs> we, we, we were having people in our home sometimes three, four, five times a week. And, you know, we're, my wife is very hospitable and, and we both have that gift and kids loved it. We were having people in our house all the time. During our preview services, we would have pastors open house between and we lived in a 950 square foot townhouse mm. and we have four children now. And so we would constantly have people in our home. And, and I cannot tell you the value of doing that, of having people in relationship with us in that way. It just it did something from the very beginning. But I bring that up to say we, we, we went at that breakneck speed for probably our church just turned three years old in October. And we launched in October 2013. We went at that breakneck speed for close to three years. Mm. And we didn't develop, you know, leaders looking back on it. We did not develop leaders like we should have developed leaders. And we, we were developing church planters, but we weren't developing leaders in our own church. Mm. And so you asked earlier, I guess that's probably the bigger lesson that I've learned. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, but we had some really tough times. I, you know, about a year ago, I woke up one day, about a year and a half ago, I woke up one day and. You know, I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to read the Bible. And I was depressed. And, you know, we I had some faithful men that and mentors and just the, and my pastor 
and some people who just walked with that through me or walked through that with me. And, 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 you know, that lasted Brian for close to six months. Mm. And then one day I woke up and it was gone. And, you know, I, I would say this, what, you know, you asked what, what keeps you during, what keeps you going through the hard times. It's, it's your calling. Uh, you know, we say that to, to to men and women alike, you know, that are called into ministry, men, of course, to the preaching ministry. And and uh, we, we say, you know, you got to know without a shadow of a doubt that you're called to this, because if you're not called, you'll go find something else to do. That's a lot easier, pays a lot more money, <laughs> do, doesn't give you as much stress. And you just have to know you're called. And we we, we just now we just now had an assessment here in Toronto where we took some of some some church planning candidates through and we we just thought this one guy in particular was going to be phenomenal. We love him so much. He's going to do great things in ministry still. But you know, in the post assessment, he was just really wrestling. He said, you know, I just don't know if I'm called to do this. I I don't know if I'm called to be a a planter and and we just said, "Amen." You know, that's it, when that is awesome that that God is showing this to you right now versus a year from now because in when it gets thick like that when it gets challenging and when you do have those hardships and when you do go through depression anxiety or whatever it might be that different people battle with you got to know that you're called to do this you got to give your life to it every single day and so and, and then you know my life versus John 15:5 you know I am divine and we we really we we really really believe that there is nothing good in us except for Jesus Christ that lives in us and through us. So if if, if he doesn't live his life through us, then then we're not going to do much. Yeah, man, I, I so appreciate what you just shared about that young man who's going through that because it can seem a lot of times in the kingdom, you know, because of the way we view things or because of who gets to be on stage, so to speak, yeah. that people, so, some people are more and some people are less. And I, I so appreciate the way you guys were, were able to affirm his calling into whatever God's calling him to, and also affirm his ability to hear from God that this wasn't the right thing. Because, you know, sometimes, especially on a show like this, where we hear constantly from missionaries and church planters, it can feel like, you know, if I'm not called to that, then maybe, maybe there's something wrong. And that's not the case. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. We we are going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit more toward our listeners. Yeah. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Missions show. First thing that God convicted me of about a year ago was that I, I wasn't making disciples. You know, I was trying to train some Haitian pastors to do something that I, I I wasn't doing myself. And so the very first thing we did when we returned to Haiti last year after some training in Florida, um, my wife and I we just started just immediately obeying Jesus by by reaching uh, reaching those just around us. And so we kind of put a pause on the pastors training and some other ministry activities. And just focused on making disciples ourselves. And so we started sharing the gospel a lot, <laughs> searching for where the Holy Spirit was already working. And so we just started with our neighbors and friends in Port-au-Prince, where we were living. And the first guy that I led to Jesus after that time was a friend of mine named Herod. Herod had been serving as a translator for me since we moved to Haiti. And, uh, but I had never, I had just never asked him about his relationship with Jesus. And, um, and so I invited him over to my house one day to help me build some furniture. And as we were working, I just began asking him about, about his relationship with Jesus. And he was telling me how he had grown up in a Christian school, but had never surrendered his life to, 
to him, wasn't, wasn't following Jesus. And, and so I shared the gospel with him. I was trained in a really simple, reproducible tool called the three circles. And uh, I showed him the, the three circles, a basic gospel presentation, and uh, shared with him my story about how just a transformed life by, by God's grace through faith in Christ. And, uh, and Herod turned and believed in Jesus that day. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. All right, we're back with Matt Hess. We've been talking about some of the things that God's shown him over the last few years, and more specifically, some of the ways that God's been moving in their ministry as they're raising up leaders. Now we're shifting our focus toward you as the listener. So Matt, what would you share with somebody who's beginning to feel stuck or maybe wondering if what they're doing in business or ministry really matters in the kingdom? Yeah, I think that the kingdom is so incredible that if we were to narrow, uh, you know, I grew up in church and every time I, I heard the word kingdom or every time, you know, I, I heard heard kingdom activity or whatever, it was coming from a preacher. And, and that's and that's OK. And that's good. And of course, that's fine. But. The reality of it is the kingdom is so much bigger than just the the local church alone, a building or or, or whatnot. The, the church or the kingdom is is moving through, you know, electricians and and lawyers and doctors and and real estate agents and all those kinds of things. And that's really by God's design. And I think to a fall, we as the church leaders, we we failed in some ways of helping people understand their place in the kingdom of God and and advancing the kingdom of God. So just kind of following up on that, then as I think about our typical listener, a lot of times when we think about ministry, we'll think about the idea of starting a ministry or starting something with a name. But I'm of the opinion that there are also often ministry opportunities that are right in front of us. Are there ministry opportunities that you see that maybe people often miss? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that when we talk about ministry, it's about showing the love of Christ in a tangible way to somebody else. Now, now for us, we're, we're, this is part of our strategy, but you know, I I believe in these things. So I would just share with anybody, whether they're a church planner or a a local businessman or businesswoman or or, or housewife, even, I, I would say that God gives us the opportunity to minister to our neighbors, to our, our coworkers, colleagues, strangers to ultimately give them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so we have a saying where we always believe that that a ministry that presents good deeds should also always accompany good news. Mm. And and I'm sure your listeners have heard that before, but, but we believe in that. I, I think that there's been a shift over the years where we can do ministry in the name of Jesus, but we never talk about how to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and I think that's very dangerous. I, I think that the, the Spirit of God wants to use all of us to, to advance the kingdom. And so I, I believe, yes, I think there's ministry opportunities available in, in every single walk of life that if we would just humble ourselves and ask the Lord to show us that, that we would be able to reach people like we never thought possible. And the, the, the thing I, we, we always teach our people, Brian, is, is this. It, we all have a sphere, a sphere of influence. There, there's, there's people in our lives. For, for example, you, you have people in your lives that, 
that, that I don't know. And I have people in my life that you don't know. And, and if I was just to simply try to walk into your circle of relationships without being invited, it would be kind of weird. You know, I, I couldn't speak into your friend's life like you could speak into your friend's life. And, and I think sometimes we think that, well, I'll invite my preacher or I'll invite my my mm. my stronger Christian friend, if you will, to, to speak into this person's life. And, and in reality, that's that's not really how it works. I, I think once yeah. you've been in relationship and friendship with people, you you can do that more so. Does that make sense? Oh, that makes perfect sense. I, I, I've I've heard that before, but I've never heard it put that specific way. And I thought that was a really great way to present that. Is there maybe a book or a resource that you'd recommend for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would give you two. Uh, okay. By by a friend named Jeff Christofferson. The, the first one is Kingdom Matrix. And the second is Kingdom First, and these are these are both books from from Jeff that that he's written, and they are so good in explaining the kingdom of God and and how and how it works in our in our daily lives, and and, and how it works also for for us to be on mission for the Lord. I, I think those are just really really good books. How can we best pray for pray for or partner with you? Yeah, absolutely. We we. There are multiple ways that you can partner with us. The, the, the greatest way that you can partner with us is always through prayer. And we, we always ask our friends to, to pray for us that we would stay teachable, that we would stay humble, and that we would stay fully and completely dependent on the Holy Spirit of God to, to fill us and to empower us to do the ministry and the work that he set out for us. And, and we always pray that God would, would continue to save people. And we're really excited this weekend. One of our churches is going to have another baptism service, and that will be 100 baptisms for our network since wow. we launched. And so we're really excited about that. So we that's a praise. We praise the Lord for that. And you can just continue to pray that God would raise up more laborers. We need more laborers here that would be bold with the gospel and really believe what the Bible says, that Jesus wants to save people. And, and sort of on that note, I guess my challenge for you as a listener is if that resonated with you about praying for laborers in the harvest, maybe set a reminder on your phone. I have one that goes off at 10.02 every day to remind me of Luke 10.2. Maybe set a reminder to remind you to pray, just to briefly do that and then to keep that at the top of your mind. Now, Matt, is there maybe one thing that you would challenge us to do in the next seven days? And if so, what would that be and why? That's a great question. I, I would say... This is going to be fairly involved, but I'll make it. I'll, I'll try to make it as simple as I can, Brian. I think that the vast majority of Christ followers in North America really wrestle. I know. I know. I do really wrestle with discipleship. They they really wrestle with how to help people grow in their faith. And we we say, well, share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel. Uh, my friend Troy Cooper with No Place Left Movement in Florida. He says that really evangelism is just an invitation into a discipleship relationship. And I love that. I mm-hmm. love how he says that. And we use a process called disciple making stages. And it was developed by a guy named Paul Johnson. He's the strategist for the Canadian National Baptist Convention. And and your listeners can go on to disciplemakingstages.com. And this is a process that that Paul's developed here in Canada that we use in our network. And what it does, it helps people assess where they are spiritually. And it is phenomenal. We've seen incredible fruit from it. 
and nobody's making any money off of this. I promise I'm not trying to, <laughs> I'm not trying to pitch anything. But my our discipleship strategist for for the Fellowships Church Planning Network here is an IMB missionary, and his name is Sebastian Vasquez, Seba Vasquez. He's a good dear friend of mine, brother. And he is he is an incredible discipleship strategist, has a brilliant mind. And you're listening, go to that website and check it out. And they can learn how to help people take steps closer to God. And the, the big question I want to leave with your listeners is when, and when we share the gospel and somebody says, ah, I'll think about it. What do we do with those people? Hmm. What do we do with those people? We, we've been really good in the church of saying, well, dust off your feet and go to the next one. And Jesus says that and amen. But also the spirit could be working in somebody's life. And, and they maybe if we take time with people and that's what disciple making stages does. It helps people. Uh, it helps Christians, disciple makers, take people from curious or seeking, if you want to use that term, to mm-hmm. becoming a disciple maker. Because that's what we've been challenged with. That's what that's what Christ told us to do. He said to go and make disciples. And that's for the the, the small business owner. That's for the church planner. It's for all of us that, that claim Jesus as king. And so I would say that's that's the most important thing today. Wow. That's, you know, I don't think that I'd ever heard somebody share that if somebody wasn't open to the gospel, that we should just dust off our feet. I'd, I'd certainly heard the scripture where God, Christ says, you know, if they go to a house and they don't welcome you, then go to the next house, right? Dust yeah. off your feet. But I'd never heard it put that way. And man, I can see where that's a huge problem. Now for you as a listener, we will have links to the resources, the website, some ways to connect with Matt. All of that's on the website at engagingmissions.com slash Matt Het. Matt Hess. Matt, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate your time and everything that you shared. Brian, thank you so much for your ministry, brother. And man, thanks. It's been an honor to be with you and your guest. Well, thank you. As we've heard Matt share, sometimes things don't always go as planned. Now we're going to join Brian Hogan from the beginning of his book, There's a Sheep in My Bathtub, as he and his family are preparing to get visas to enter Mongolia. The question is, will they get them or not? Let's join Brian as we hear from him. The five of us were bundled up against the frigid winds blowing through Beijing as we unfolded ourselves from the taxi's cramped interior. We'd had our Hotel Dongfang concierge order us a cab to get us here by the start of business this morning of February 22, 1993. Heavy black iron gates of the Mongolian Embassy to the People's Republic of China loomed before us. Behind those gates and inside the embassy were the visas we needed to enter Mongolia and follow God's call on our lives. We couldn't help but notice a crowd of about 50 was encamped between us and the gates, asking my wife, Louise, to wait at the curb with our three young daughters. I pushed through the milling collection of Chinese and Mongolians to the armed guard at the gate. I comforted myself with the idea that all these people probably had no legitimate business inside, and I would be quickly passed through. The unsmiling guard, however, failed to move aside or provide an explanation in English. I mimed I needed to speak to someone inside, and he motioned me over to an intercom. This was good progress. We'd be inside and out of the cold in just a few moments. The speaker crackled to life in response to my buzz. Yes, how may I help you? An accented female voice queried. I explained my family needed to get in to secure our visas for Mongolia. 
That is impossible until Wednesday, sir. The embassy is closed for our Mongolian national holiday. So will Brian and his family be able to get their visas in time for what they have coming next? You'll have to join us next week as we'll catch up with Brian as he continues to share the story of his family's entry into Mongolia. I'd like to say one more huge thank you to Brian Hogan for making his book available to us. It was narrated by the author at Voice of the Martyr Studios, and Jeff Butterworth, who actually helps out with this podcast, also helped with the mixing and mastering. Jeff Butterworth has Sound Paradigm Studio just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. If you have a book that you would like to be able to make available as an audiobook, I would recommend that you connect with Jeff at soundparadigmstudio.co or send me an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com to start that conversation. And if you're interested in picking up the audio version of Brian's book, you can do that by visiting engagingmissions.com slash free book and then simply selecting Brian Hogan's book, There's a Sheep in My Bathtub, as your first download when you sign up to try out Audible's service. That again is engagingmissions.com slash free book. And then just select Brian's book as your first free download when you sign up to try out their service. Today we're going to pause and take just a couple of minutes to focus on knowing a little bit more about our Muslim neighbors. I'm pulling resources from what's been made available by Global Initiative. We're actually in the middle of a fundraiser with them, and they've given me permission to use their resources to share more with you about reaching Muslims. 4,000 years ago, Abraham cried out to God, if only Ishmael may live under your blessing. This plea of this father for his son touched God's heart, and he did reply, and as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him into a great nation. The people of Islam trace their heritage back to Ishmael. Today, those spiritual sons are called Muslims, the people of Islam. There are over 1.6 billion Muslims scattered all over the world, and they are still outside of the covenant with Jesus. They've been blessed in a material sense, but they have not been saved. They believe that Jesus was a prophet, but do not believe that he was the divine son of God and do not accept him as savior. Our hearts should be increasingly burdened, not only by the increasingly the enormous spiritual need of these 1.6 Muslims, but also by the apathy of the overall missionary movement toward them. Now, that's changing. That's been changing over the last few decades, but our hearts should be turned toward them, not away from them. In fact, a relatively small percentage of missionaries actually try to reach the vast majority of these Muslim people. That's where we're going to stop for this week. We'll come back next week and focus a little bit more on knowing the the roots and the heritage of our Muslim neighbors. I'd like to thank Global Initiative for making their resources available to us. You can find out more about their organization by visiting reachingmuslimpeoples.com. And if you'd like to join us in helping fund their ministry, visit engagingmissions.com slash fund16 so that resources like this can be available to the body of Christ at large and so that they can go out and train and equip people to reach people for God's glory and the advancement of His kingdom. Thanks to Matt Hess for being with us. Thanks also to Brian Hogan for making his book available. Global Initiative for letting us share their resources. And to you for joining us. Show notes, as always, are available 
at engagingmissions.com. This week, find show notes at engagingmissions.com slash Matt Hess. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-S-S. Make sure you check out the show notes. They look great, and we keep working on ways to deliver even more value when you visit our show notes page. Make sure you come back next week when we'll be hearing from Jacob Villa about God's call from a church in North Carolina to Haiti. Also, subscribe today by visiting engageinmissions.com slash subscribe. So, if you do that, you'll never miss an episode. We want to keep you encouraged, and that is our best way to do so. If you have feedback or suggestions for the show, please email them to feedback at engagingmissions.com. And thanks again for listening to the Engaging Missions Show. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Missions Show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.